again, everyone, and welcome to another episode of In the Ring with Acacia Courtney. I'm your host, Acacia Courtney, as we'll be talking a little bit about the Keeneland November sale that just wrapped up and some exciting breeding ventures and a little bit more as we start to wrap up the year. Pretty crazy as I'm finishing up this recording on Tuesday, the week of Thanksgiving, and just wanted to say a very big thank you to all of the listeners, all of the people who have supported the show, our terrific sponsors, and of course, um, Jonathan Kinchin and Pete Hornetal of In The Money Media for giving me this platform too. Feeling very grateful, very thankful, and of course, the most thankful to the horses who uh, make this crazy world of horse racing go and all of the other elements in it, including the world of breeding, sales, all the pedigree conversations that we have on this show. It all starts with the horses, and I am the most thankful for them. But Looking forward to today's show. Uh, again, a lot of recap as far as the Keeneland sale is concerned, as there were some big fireworks coming up uh, this past couple of weeks as far as the Keeneland November sales. There always is. And looking forward to the end of the year. I'm about to move my tack, so to speak, and go south for the winter, get ready for the opening day of the Gulfstream Park Championship meet. Um, still a lot more to do in New York over the next week or so before I head down, but it's an exciting time of year, and I hope that you enjoy today's show, and as always, appreciate you tuning in. Very happy to be joined by a special guest now who you definitely have heard of and know best, probably as one of the top jockeys on the Kentucky circuit right now, but Going into a new venture in another part of the racing industry, so happy to welcome in Brian Hernandez Jr. And we're this is actually our second time recording this too due to technical issues. So Brian, thank you so much for taking the time and, and being on the show with me. Yeah, Krisha, thanks for having me on. Uh, so as I mentioned, you're a very successful jockey, but now getting into the world of breeding a little bit um, after purchasing a mare just recently named Unbridled Explosion with your family. Tell me a little bit about the decision to go on this breeding venture. Yeah, uh, my wife and I, we've talked about it for a couple, a few years now. You know, we bought a farm here in Simpsonville and uh, we always told ourselves that one day we'd like to to buy a mare and just kind of go into that aspect of it. So uh this year we were out at Del Mar for Breeders' Cup and we had a little extra time just waiting for the races to start. And, and my wife, Jamie, she started looking through the, uh, the sales catalog over at Keeneland and she found, she found a, uh, a mare that was in full of Matoli and she, she really wanted a Matoli baby. So uh, when she found this mare, she, she told me the name and I was like, man, I think I've ridden that mare before. Mm -hmm. And so I started looking her up on Equibase and sure enough, I had ridden her most of her career over for Ian Wilkes and, uh, she was a really hardy, solid mare that just kind of always showed up. You know, she ran in some tough races, but she always put her best foot forward. Do you feel like the fact that you've had a, that relationship with this horse, that you know her, knew what she was about on the racetrack, kind of makes it that much more exciting to now have have her kick off your, your broodmare venture? Yeah, definitely. And, you know, like just knowing, knowing her background of, of where she came from and knowing that she was over at a... Uh, Susie Shoemaker at Lantern Hill, her whole broodmare career, we knew she was well taken care of and she was coming from a good place. So we uh, we just liked everything about her and we went over to the sale and, and put a bid in on her. You said that your wife, Jamie, she was really excited about having a Matoli baby. Obviously, he was so fast. What was it about Matoli offspring that really appealed to her? She just... Uh, just watching him run his whole career and she always she always loved him you know like you said he was always really fast and he was always straightforward so she she had her heart set that she wanted a Matoli 
she wanted a Matoli baby, so we went out. We she looked at a couple of Weenlands there at the sale, but they all went for really high prices, and she uh she had already kind of had it in the back of her mind that she wanted this mare. So, like I said, we went and we looked at her before uh, she went in the sales ring, and Jamie took a picture with her before she even bought her. So I knew then that uh <laughs> she kind of she kind of had her mind made up. <laughs> oh yeah, I know that feeling very well. Once you've got the picture, that's it, you're done for. Uh, but so exciting and, and obviously speaking about your wife and both of you have that love for horses and involvement with the industry, but I know it's a real family affair for you. Yes, it is. You know, like we have, uh, we're out here at the farm and, and all three kids, they each have their ponies and the two oldest ones, they ride just about every day and they they love coming out to the races and, and watching the races on TV here at the house. And it's just, this is another thing for them to get interested in. You know, it's just another another avenue for them to uh, to enjoy racing. Now that you've, you know, had a few weeks to kind of think about the, the, the next steps here, uh, what kind of will be the, the game plan for you? Will it be to maybe add some more mares or uh, kind of stick with this one, try to sell foals? What, are, what is it that you're kind of thinking about a little bit more long term? Um, right now, you know, we, we took a unbridled explosion. She went back over to uh, Lantern Hill with Susie. So she's going to go ahead and fold her out. And uh, we're going to just kind of get together and pick out another sire to breed her to for next year. And then uh, hopefully we can, if everything goes well with the baby that we have, uh, hopefully we can sell it as a year, as a weanling and just kind of mm -hmm. go from there. And, and it's, this is all kind of new to us. So we're all just kind of learning as we go, really. But uh yeah, it's, it's exciting. You know, Jamie, she talked about maybe going to the January sale and finding a mare to, uh, to fold out and, and breed down to uh, Country Day down in Louisiana. She, she's really, we're really good friends with Richard Klein and he has yeah. that sire standing down there in Louisiana. So uh, she'd like to find something to, uh, to take down there to breed to him as well. So we'll just kind of see how it goes here in the next few months. Oh, very cool. It's exciting. And as you said, you're kind of learning as you go too. And, and it is all part of racing, but the breeding world is such a separate entity to it. What have been some of the biggest surprises for you along the way? Yeah, it's, it's a completely different, completely different situation. You know, when you, you have these brood mares, the minute, from the minute you sign that ticket on them, it's a, uh, you got to start paying expenses on them. You know, it's not, it's not just going out and riding wise you know i go out there and i i ride a horse and turn around and you kind of forget about them but when you mm -hmm. when you put this longevity into uh to the breeding game like this you know it's something that you you're looking at every day and just it's the expenses of it but it's a uh, it's a lot of fun it's it's going to be a, a lot of enjoyment for the kids especially and do you feel the fact that you are a rider and that this has been not only your livelihood but a huge passion for you kind of brings another element to that as you're you're going on this new venture yeah it does you know and it it makes you respect what how expensive it is really to mm -hmm. for these owners to uh to get into the game you know like like i said you start paying on these brood mares and babies from the from the minute you sign the ticket so these guys that own these horses and especially breed them you know they have years and years of expenses into them before they even make it into the uh to the starting gate so when you go out there and ride in the afternoons it makes you appreciate that it makes you realize hey you know what that third and fourth is a whole lot more important for that owner than yeah. being fifth or sixth because that that's what's going to keep his bills paid every month and it's going to kind of keep guys moving forward and trying to keep them keep guys in the game a lot longer
Yeah, so true. I mean, we all know how hard it is to get a horse to win, but it's so difficult just to get a horse into the starting gate from the very beginning. Um, but I know Ian Wilkes was the trainer of this mare, as you mentioned, but you've kind of teamed up with him in the past as far as some breeding ventures. Yeah, and that's that's another little fun thing. We uh, we have a two-year-old right now over I own in partnerships with Ian that uh, we bred to uh, – Ian a couple years ago had a uh, a warfront mare that he mm-hmm. he got given to him by another owner and he called me up and he was like hey uh, I got this warfront mare you want to you want to go in half winter and we can breed her to Fort Larned and I was like yeah that that sounds like fun you know it was yeah. a way for us to kind of dip our toes into the breeding game so we uh, we went ahead and did it we we bred that mare to Fort Larned for uh, two years in a row and like I said we have a uh, we have a two year old out of him now named Gus Gus he made one start over at Ellis, he was second. He's going to run back cool. at the December meet over at Turfway. And uh, we have a, a yearling out of the same mare. Her name was uh, Social Amber. And we're just kind of, it's a lot of fun. You know, I went out to Skylight the other day and I worked Gus Gus to uh, just to see where he where he's at mm-hmm. and kind of where we're going to move forward with him. And it looks like he's he got a little break in the middle of the summer and he's come off of his break really, really good. So it looks like we have something to kind of look forward to and have some fun with over the winter. And it's, it's just a lot of fun because now like with Ian and Tracy and Jamie yeah. and I, we're all on, we're all on a group text. And every time Gus Gus works or something, we all kind of talk back and forth. And it's, it's just brought another whole different element into uh, the enjoyment of racing. I love that. And I'm, I'm kind of in a similar situation. It's my fiance and I actually own our first mare together and she's in fold at Cantharos. And it's, um, it's really exciting. It's a little scary too, for sure. But I mean, how rewarding is it now that you, you have seen a two-year-old come along from the very beginning and knowing that you played a role in that and bringing that horse to where it is? Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it brings a different kind of enjoyment really. Cause like you said, you, and you, you understand as well, when you raise them from when you get to go out to the farm and see him as a as a couple day old baby, and then when I got to work him the first time over at church show, you know, it was just a it's a, a lot of enjoyment to know the hard work and the uh, the expenses that everyone has put into mm-hmm. him to make it just to make it to that point, and then to go over and when he uh, when he ran first time out at Ellis, we really didn't know what to expect, and I was going around the turn and he was he was last, and then he started picking up horses, and as he's picking up horses, I'm like, oh man, we might really have something here. And, and then for cool. him to jump up and run second first time out going five and a half, it was a, it was a really neat moment. Yeah, that's amazing. I was definitely excited to follow his career too. And um, I, I love how it has been such a big family affair for you. Was there ever a moment that you thought, oh no, what if my kids aren't as into this as my wife and I are? Uh, you know, they've, they've always kind of been around horses since the day they were born especially with us having the farm out here and uh we've always kind of just thrown them up on horses from early on and it was always kind of it's always been there for them so I don't think they really had much of an option you know it's kind of bred into them just like just about all of us here in in the horse racing (laughs) game and uh like I said they just they just enjoy it if you if you come out and just watch them ride around the fields here you see the enjoyment that the horses bring to them and also it's the uh about the responsibility it, it, it yeah. instills into them, you know, they, with the kids like that, they have to go out there every day and check on their ponies and make sure they're fed, make sure they're watered. So it's just, it's extra responsibility for them and it kind of teaches them to, to be brought up the right way, I guess is the best way to put it. No, so true. No better teachers than the horses, that's for sure. And um, I know 
horses have given all of us so much. And do you feel like this is kind of your opportunity to, to give back in horses in a different way and, and maybe understand them a little bit better too? Yeah, exactly. Any, anytime you can, anytime you can help improve the, the game of horse racing, yeah. I think it's a good thing. So that's, that's kind of our biggest thing. You know, I wanted, I, with riding and stuff like that, it, it's been great for us and it's provided us with a, with a really good lifestyle and uh, just kind of doing what we can to give back to the, to the racing industry. It's a, it's a lot of fun. So if we can be somewhat successful at the broodmare band, I guess uh, it's just a little more enjoyment for all of us, really. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you, like you said, you've, you've had a, a terrific career and continuing on with a terrific career. When you first started out, would you have ever imagined that horses could take you the places that they have? No, never. You know, growing up down there in, in Louisiana, but we always thought going to the fairgrounds was a big deal. So to uh, to be able to be on the stage that we're on now, you know, between being able to ride in Breeders' Cup races and Kentucky Derbies and, and just the day in and day out of riding it between places like Keeneland and Churchill and Saratoga, it's a, it's, it's a dream that you never really think is possible growing up down there. You know, you always tell yourself, me, when we were kids, my little brother Kobe and I, we'd race Shetland ponies up and down the fields all the time. And we'd always tell ourselves one day we're going to ride in the Kentucky Derby, but to uh, to actually get to this point, it's it's an it's just you got to give respect to the horses because they're the ones that have brought us yeah. here. I love it. Uh, it's such an amazing story, and Brian, really, really excited to follow. Wishing you and Jamie all the best with this new venture, and uh, looking forward to seeing you at the racetrack sometime soon. Oh, perfect. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll keep everybody updated on what's going on with the Unbridled Explosion, and hopefully we get lucky. As we just wrapped up the Keeneland November sale, I'm very pleased to be joined by somebody who's been the boots on the ground and has been everywhere as far as all things Keeneland is concerned. Scott Hazleton joining me now. Scott, really appreciate you taking the time today. Vacation, my pleasure. Uh, it's been, I know, a busy few weeks for you breeders cup then on to the keeneland november sale overall just how would you kind of sum up as i'm sure you're still mentally and physically recovering from the keeneland november sale but how would you kind of sum it up as we really saw a, a terrific I, I guess response from all of the buyers and consigners with keeneland november well i i've been fortunate enough to be going to to keeneland november the last you know three four five years I, off the top of my head couldn't tell you but i think that uh it was the best one that that, uh, that I've had a chance to be a part of, and and for the market to rebound the way that it has from last year to this year, and I think we see it in all aspects of, of business. Um, it's pretty remarkable to see firsthand. I mean, when when you hit the halfway point of a ten session, ten day sale, and they've they put out the press release in the evening hours, uh, letting everybody know that they had surpassed what they had done in ten days last year with one hundred fifty ish million dollars last year in total to over $166 million, I believe, off the top of my head in those five sessions and knowing we have, you know, it's nothing but gravy to, to go, just goes to show you uh, what a success it, it was and um, how people are so invested in this sport. Uh, they want bloodstock, they want weanlings, you know, they want to be able to pinhook weanlings, they want to be able to pinhook these foals that these uh, broodmares are carrying, they want, you know, and there's plenty of people that are buying these weanlings to, to race as well. I mean, I think you can look towards the, the higher end purchases when you've got weanlings going for six, seven, eight hundred thousand mm -hmm. dollars. So it, it really was 
quite the experience and it's always fun to be part of that that auction team i mean they are they're the best in the business and you know getting a chance to to watch them do their thing firsthand is one of the greatest pleasures i've had in my entire lifetime and career over these past couple of years it's such an incredible team and seeing all the work that goes into it be celebrated with $7 million plus mayors as well, topped by Paris Lights, who went for $3.1 million to Spendthrift Farm. Tell me a little bit about that electricity when you see these fillies and mayors off the racetrack or perhaps in full going through the ring and how exciting it is to see them so well received. It's fun to be there and watch, you know, two, three big players hook up and the back and forth tennis match that goes on between, you know, the whether it be in the front part of the pavilion or, you know, from the back to the front or, you know, these days now online to, to phone to whatever. But it's especially fun when you can see the two players, you know, in one space and, and watch them go back and forth and try to read and react to each other. I mean, it, it's it really is. And, and that particular mayor, you know, uh, whatever day that was, it's escaping me now. I'm guessing it was probably <laughs> book one, but it was, you know, right at the very end of book one. And we expected to see, and I think everybody expected to see Paris Lights, given what she's done on the racetrack, being a grade one winner, expected to see uh, her go for a big number. But late in the day, you know, it just kind of, you know, even though it is late in the day, I think that it, it it's nice to close out with instances like that because then it carries that energy into the next morning because it's a quick turnaround. You know, it's, you know, we've spent a day there back at it 10 a.m. To, to start book two on that Thursday. So I think that everybody feeds off of that and, you know, want to come back and understand what it's going to take and, you know, what it does take to, to acquire these top broodmares and, and weanlings like are offered at Keeneland November each and every year. Paris Lights is an example. She obviously has a huge pedigree, but had a big race record as well. How do you think that makes this sale so special and having some of these top quality mares that people are already so familiar with because of their recency on the racetrack? It, it, it defines it, truthfully. I mean, we, we strive to have the best mares that uh, are available to us and we'll continue to, to work to, to do better uh, at that. I, I know that. I mean, having plenty of discussions with uh, individuals like Tony Lacey and, and Cormac Brannick and and just the entire team, like we know what it takes and we know what it's going to take for, for years to come to, to continue to compete um, in a market like this. So, I mean, it's it is a lot of fun. And, it, and when you see the international players come in, especially when, you know, you talk about 30 to 40 to 50 different countries that are represented at sales like this, it's a lot of fun. And then be able to uh, pick up on what they're looking for. I mean, it's no surprise the Japanese buyers, they show up every year. But off the, the heels of their Breeders' Cup success, just days mm -hmm. prior, you could see the momentum that, that carried into the sale and then sort of reading and reacting to, to what they're looking for. You know, there was a few instances sitting up on the stand and, you know, saw some Japanese buyers yeah. come in and understand uh, that, the, uh, that they, they like more than ready, more than ready mares. And if right. you look at a more than ready pedigree, um, more than ready is the broodmare sire of Contrail who's, you know, a top runner that they've had over in Japan. So when you've got a young, more than ready mare that you can offer to market, and you've got that history. And, you know, that's all we're trying to do in this sport, as you well know, Acacia, is we're trying to predict the future based on, on the past, which it's not a perfect science, but it makes it such a great challenge. So, you know, being able to see that and see it firsthand um, is a lot of fun. And it's, it's one of those things I think that I can speak for, for anybody that's had a chance to be out there. It's, you know, if you're a racing fan, obviously if you're a buyer, 
if you're in the market, we know that you'll be coming out. But just if you're a racing fan and you've never had a chance to see that, mm-hmm. that you should come out and, and experience it because it, it, it is quite something. Whether it be November, you know, whether it be January or, or certainly September, the Keeneland sales are quite the experience. And that was a definitive part of, of these last two sales as well, the, the, uh, the experience and making it a big deal from just, you know, the, the brunch being served in the hours leading up to book one, the band playing in the, in the, in the pavilion to set the tempo. Uh, you know, cocktails, mocktails being passed out. I mean, it's, and this is something that's not going away. Um, there's no doubt with the team that they've got in place. There's no question that that will continue to be. And 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 fans and and buyers alike are are always welcome to come out to Keeneland and experience just that. I think you brought up such an interesting point, too, Scott, especially with after such a big weekend for Team Japan at the Breeders' Cup, and then how active we saw the Japanese buyers being at the sale, European buyers as well, and all that diversity. How important do you think that is to the sales in general? As Keeneland, I think, has really done a great job in welcoming people uh, from other countries and from other jurisdictions to come to see the best bloodstock that there is. Yeah, it's a global game, and it just continues to get smaller. I mean, you know, reading, waking up and reading and, and having truthfully forgotten about a Gran Allegria and her tie to American racing. Somebody put out a tweet uh, talking about the impact that a trainer like Dale Romans has had on Japanese racing. And I'm like, how does that tie in? Wow. And so I yeah. quickly pulled up her pedigree to remind myself that Gran Allegria, this champion mare who just wrapped up her, you know, Hall of Fame career, um, is a daughter of Tappet's Fly, Dale Romans trainee, mm-hmm. Breeders' Cup winner. Wow. And so... You know, we just continue to see the impact that American racing makes on the global stage and whether it's through bloodstock over in Japan, because I don't think we've quite found a way for our American runners to head that way and and compete. Hopefully we get a chance that, to be at a, chan- a point like that. And I think that the yeah. Japanese racing and obviously American racing would welcome that as well. But, you know, looking at the last 10, 15 years of what uh, Wesley Ward's done with with the Royal Ascot racing and French Mm -hmm. racing for that matter. So, you know, it's just, it goes to show you that this sport continues to grow, go globally grow, but at the same time, bring, bring ourselves closer to one another, which is, it's so much fun because as you, you saw firsthand being there and witnessing those two Phillies win for Japan was a special, special moment. And that's the things that we will remember, build off of, to carry that momentum as was done in, in the immediate days of Keeneland November. And we'll be able to, to build off of for years to come because that's what any sport is, is about, is carrying that momentum, building that momentum, mm-hmm. uh, creating stories, creating bloodlines, obviously, in this sport and, uh, and building off of that. And that's something that uh, I think we're seeing right now with the racing that we've got going on and and obviously sales like Keeneland, September, November, January. Yeah, absolutely. It's been, I know, a really busy fall for all of you. You also were so deeply involved in the race meet of the fall Keeneland meet too, with a lot of the races leading up to the Breeders' Cup with wing and you're in races and backtracking to that a little bit. Um, It feels like that's also a meet that has continued to grow. And I guess it's by virtue of the fact of being able to welcome everybody back to the racetrack this year and to have people make it a little bit easier to ship too. Will you reflect back a little bit on the Keeneland fall me and how that helped that momentum into the sales? Well, I think just people want to be at Keeneland. People want to win at Keeneland. And the, with the way that racing is going, especially in the Commonwealth of Kentucky, when it comes to to the purse structure, you know, that obviously helps that, that case quite a bit. And, and the timing 
of of the fall meet in relationship to the Breeders' Cup. And then you've also got, I don't want to call them standalone races, but when you've got a race like the Queen Elizabeth the, the Second Challenge Cup mm-hmm. for straight three-year-old fillies that's relatively close in, you know, relatively close to the Breeders' Cup for somebody to come off and, and turn right around at the Breeders' Cup. But when you've got a race like that, we know how important grade ones are um, in this sport. So it's, you know, and then also Gatewood Bell with his idea of, of, implementing and bringing back some of these stakes races to be on closing week because there hadn't been some in recent fall meets. And, and, you know, we had um, a big time performance in the Bryan station with the, the cult of Kenny McPeaks, who's escaping my mind right now, but I think we're going to get a chance to see him out for the, uh, uh, the Hollywood Derby at Del Mar, if I'm not mistaken, but, you know, just bringing those back, having some two-year-old races to stakes at the end of the season for horses that are maybe not quite, Breeders' Cup ready, Mm -hmm. and also just, you know, always looking to the future and having that, you know, I'm sure that we'll get a chance to see some of those horses that that ran in that final week and weren't quite Breeders' Cup ready come back in the springtime and be massively competitive uh, at whatever level they come back in. And hopefully it's, you know, back in those graded stakes races like we have, you know, whether it be uh, the Makers Mark Mile or or things like that. But, uh, you know, it's always building towards the future and that's really what you are seeing and what we have directly witnessed with racing this last year and sales this last year at Keeneland. With being involved in both the racing side of things at Keeneland and the sales side I would say probably more in the fall you'll get to see horses then going into the sales in the spring you'll get to see two-year-olds that have been graduates of of yearling sales or even weanling sales. How much of a fulfillment is that for you to be able to follow particular horses in any way from the racetrack to the sales or back of the other direction. It's a lot of fun because I think that anytime we get a chance to see these horses and, uh, you know, continue to follow their career, connect the dots from, you know, whether getting a chance to see them at a farm before they go to a yearling sale mm-hmm. uh, or, you know, getting a chance to see them sell at a particular sale and then going to the racetrack, we, we become fans of them. I think we find that connection and, you know, whether we're lucky enough, and, and obviously we're very lucky to be put in positions like that, but I think the same can be said for fans of racing when you have a, a wager on a horse, you know, first time out, you start to follow their career. Yeah. I mean, I can remember to to last year with uh, Essential Quality. Gabby Gaudet mm-hmm. and myself were lucky enough to be covering his maiden allowance debut victory, and we both said to each other on air, like, this, he looks like the real deal, the way that he was able to do this. And then, you know, we immediately asked to ourselves and, you know, po- posed the question on air, you know, are, you think we'll see him in the Claiborne Breeders Futurity the way that they did with Maxfield because he was on really the same timing schedule to jump from that maiden special weight to, to the Claiborne Breeders Futurity. And he did. And, you know, sort of the rest is history. So you become fans of them because you feel like mm-hmm. you're there at, at ground level, which as a fan, participant, you know, covering it whatever it might be, you really end up being and you get a chance to, to follow them and follow success and, you know, hope the success comes. Like, I mean, those are those are not uh, instances of regularity, but when mm. you get that chance, it, it hooks you, right? It hooks you when you, you know, if you can get, say that you were up on the stand and, and read, you know, a pedigree that turned out to be, you know, not just a winner, but a stakes winner or something like that. But it is, it's very fun and it keeps uh, keeps that interest sparked throughout the entire year. Well, we've seen a lot of established stallions uh, tap it with essential quality, a perfect example, but also a lot of new stallions represented with weanlings. And then, of course, going on uh, with 
the two-year-old crops that we get to see on the track every year, you get to be involved with sales with pretty much every stage of a horse's life. What are some stallions, I would say, as far as some of the yearlings and weanlings we've seen thus fall that you're pretty excited about and excited to follow? That we're going to get the chance to see next year? Yes. I would, I mean, you know, you always start at the top and with the way that the market reacted, City of Light with what he was able to do at the Keeneland September sale in uh, bringing Sunday Morning Farm, you know, a sale topper for a very small consignment. Uh, Rosalind Poland, who who only breeds about five horses a year, but she breeds to first crop stallions. And in, in the last two Keeneland September sales, she sold Wit, who graded stakes winner in New York this year at the age of two. And then she sold this sale topper to some pretty, pretty big time connections, which include Lane's End and West Point Thoroughbred. So um, the City of Light Colts um, that was sold this past September. So you know, it'll be it'll be fun to see how he pans out. It'll be fun to see how Justify pans out. Uh, I mean, name a, a sire by Into Mischief, which it seems like there's a dozen of them standing at stud right now. They all seem to pan <laughs> out. We, we saw a practical joke and what, you know, ex- for example, Wit was able to do. So um, I, I think that those would be at the top of the list. And, and you know, there's always a lot of interest when it comes to these, uh, these first crop signs. And then also, too, you know, we're reminded that, just because they were successes on the track, some you know sometimes they need a little bit more time to pan out, and patience is always tested in this sport, but especially from a market perspective. I mean, Run Happy is an example of that. You know, the expectations mm-hmm. were were so high, and you know, Mattress Mac did such an amazing job and continues to in marketing him and supporting the industry and supporting the sport and obviously supporting Run Happy. Now we're starting to see the Run Happies do very well on the racetrack. So you know, it's just it's just a reminder. It's a humbling sport. And it's, you know, patience is key. Sometimes patience isn't uh, needed. For example, if you had a gun runner this year, you, you found yourself right. in the winter circle right away. But it's just, it's always, it's, it's always fun to, to see these horses progress. And, you know, another example of that would be Arrogate. I mean, we've yet to see him. And obviously we will not have very much of an opportunity mm-hmm. to see him reach the peaks that we expected because he passed so early. But you know, he had the horse uh, taking names so impressive in Dubai just this past week. So, you know, are we going to start seeing flashes of that? So it's just it's always fun to to remember and, you know, come up with memories of, of covering these horses and, and, and certainly create memories each and every day as we're able to, whether it be through Keeneland sales or Keeneland racing. You mentioned Rosalind Poland, and I think that she's a great example. Obviously, we have the the large outfits that everybody are re- is really familiar with consigning and breeding horses. But you also have some of the smaller ones, too. How special is it for you to be able to highlight some of those stories and some of the smaller outfits that find success or just have overcome a lot of adversity to get where they are? Well, the prime example of that for me was uh, the year that Mendelssohn was getting set to run in a Breeders' Cup, and I am failing to remember if it was the year that he won at Del Mar, or mm-hmm. if he don't even off the top of my head can't recall if he ran more than once in the Breeders' Cup. But nonetheless, he had quite the success in his life. And so, because of the fact that Mendelssohn had done what he had done, uh, again, I believe he'd won the Breeders' Cup at this point in time. He was getting set to run in the Derby. That's what it was. He was getting right. set to run in the Derby because I had had the chance and pleasure of being in Dubai for his UAE Derby victory, which was sensational. So mm-hmm. uh, we were fortunate enough to be uh, invited out to Clarkland Farm, Fred Mitchell and Nancy Mitchell, and get a chance to meet them and see Fred's operation that was, you know, founded as a homestead back in the late 1700s. And 
you know, is the home of Leslie's lady who changed the, the sport. And there's no other way yeah. of putting that, being the mayor of Intimish Beholder as well as Mendelssohn. And when we were out there, you know, we, we heard the story of, of Leslie's lady and how his wife found her and why he, why she wanted to buy him or her, excuse me. And then, you know, Beholder being born in this stall that was a small stall that used to be a tobacco barn, I believe. Uh, and then looking out into the field and seeing Leslie's lady with her American Pharaoh filly and taking pictures of that. And then fast forward a year later, getting a chance to be at the Keeneland September sale and ironically enough, be up on the stand when Mandy Pope bought that now yearling filly for $8.2 million and outbid Sheikh Mohammed. Um, and so, you know, that, that to me, and, and then the now, ha you know, being able to call Fred Mitchell and his family and his, his daughter and his son-in-law friends and sit down and chat and Fred, you know, tell the story of us coming out there. Like those are the things that, you know, that I don't want to say keep me coming back because hopefully I'm going nowhere in this industry. <laughs> those are the types of things that, uh, that really are special. And, you know, to share those moments, to see them pan out for individuals like that. And Leslie's lady gave them two sale toppers, Mendelssohn and then that Philly, um, that Mandy Pope had. So it's, there's, there's a lot of these stories. And uh, George Leonard is another one that would come to mind when it comes to, mm -hmm. you know, his Philly, California angel. There are a lot of these stories in this industry. It's just a matter of us doing our part and telling them because they are fabulous stories and people need to know about the, the hard work uh, and sacrifices that, that these individuals put in uh, to, to keep the sport going in the fashion that it has. I couldn't agree more. To me, those stories and what happens behind the scenes really is the heart and soul of racing. And I love getting to hear uh, any behind the scenes thing that it takes to get a horse to the sales ring, to the racetrack. We all know how difficult that can be. And Scott, just wanted to wrap up with talking about you, as I know that you're probably uh, still recovering, as I mentioned, after all of the craziness of Keeneland. But with all of the different roles that you play in the sport of horse racing, how special is it to you, your involvement with Keeneland and what you've been able to do as far as your, your involvement in the sales in particular? It's, it's been a dream come true. I mean, there's no other way of putting it, you know, from my HR TV days to my current TVG days to, you know, being asked to be part of the, the Keeneland sales team and, you know, being part of the, the Keeneland, you know, coverage intertwined with our TVG coverage every day at Keeneland. Like I just, I don't know. It's one of those deals, Acacia, that I just, I find myself uh, feeling lucky every single day to be, you know, not only to be at these places and be around these horses, but especially to be around the people that I get a chance to to be around. It's it's not something that if you gave me the next 30 years to put into words that I would be able to give it justice. Uh, I've just been very fortunate. And, you know, a lot of that uh, stems from the sacrifices that my father put uh, forth mm -hmm. within this sport and, and other family members as well, not not just my father. I mean, every, every individual in my family um, had some sort of job or continues to have some sort of involvement in, in thir the thoroughbred horse racing industry. So... Uh, I, I have been very, very fortunate and uh, have never lost sight of that. And hopefully I never do. And hopefully if I do, somebody checks me real quick. But <laughs> I, I don't think that uh, I don't think I will because, you know, I'm, I'm humbled every single day to be around the people that uh, that we get a chance to be around and every level of the sport from being back at the barn, to being at the sales, to being at the races, 
you know, to being uh, at various functions. Uh, it's it's a humbling experience, and, and we're very lucky to to say that we get a chance to do what we do. Well, I was certainly following all of your coverage of the Keeneland sales. I wasn't in Kentucky myself, and uh, I know speak for many when I say your coverage so appreciated and all that you do. And uh, congratulations on a terrific sale, and uh, here's to continuing that momentum into next year. Absolutely. We'll be back at it in January, so four more days. And that'll do it for another episode of In the Ring with Acacia Courtney. Big thank you to my guests, Ryan Hernandez Jr. and Scott Hazelton. And an especially big thank you to our wonderful friends at Keeneland for their support, as always, as it's time for the Keeneland Roundup. Keeneland just concluded its November breeding stock sale, which is the most important auction of its kind in the world. Some key stats from the Keeneland November sale, $203 million in gross sales, which was the highest since 2016. It was a record median, an 82% clearance rate, and it was highlighted by the $3.1 million sale of grade one winner Paris Lights and an $800,000 sale of a Frankel filly, which marked the top price weanling sold at public auction in North America this year. Keeneland's January sale will begin on Monday, January 10th. Can't wait for that. Thank you so much to our friends at Keeneland. Congratulations on a spectacular November sale and looking forward to seeing that momentum continue on into 2022. As for you, as always, please feel free to share this podcast if you have any recommendations or some things you want to learn more about as far as sales, pedigree, breeding does go. Let me know on social media. Thanks as always for listening to In the Ring with Acacia Courtney.